Welcome to Real Personal Finance. I'm your host, Scott Frank, CFP, CFA charter holder, and founder of Stone Steps Financial. And I'm your host, James Canole, CFP, MBA, and owner of Root Financial Partners. The premise of our show is simple. Money can be confusing, but it doesn't have to be. Our goal is to answer real personal financial questions that we hear from our clients and our listeners. Each episode, we answer one personal financial question in a clear and understandable way. Because money is a tool. And when you understand the language of money, you can make better decisions to improve your financial life. Hey, James. Hey, Scott. We've got another listener question. Right. Thanks for the listener questions. Please keep them coming. Thank you all. Um, yeah. By your With your questions, we get to help others. So thank you. Mm-hmm. And if you do, uh, feel free to submit a question. You can do so at realpersonalfinance.co. Um, I think there might also be some spots in uh, footnotes that mm-hmm. you can hit to submit a question as well. Yeah, there's a link to the website. Yeah. Realpersonalfinance.co website in the show notes and just on the World Wide Web. Yeah. Which is a great big place. If you like listening to us, please leave us a review. Uh, we want to help more people. Um, we're up to like, I don't know, 30,000 downloads a month now, but we want to keep it growing to keep helping more and more of you. So please keep them coming. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Do you want to, should we dive into this question? Yeah, let's do it. All right. I will read it. Uh, it is from Zach. Zach, thank you for writing in. Hey guys, I've been listening to your show for a little over a week now and love the simplicity as well as the complexity that accompanies it. Thank you. Uh, I had a question regarding ability to retire without having to worry about the stock market. I'm 26 years old and have a TSP account valued around $20,000 a variety of stock bond portfolios that are earmarked for different port priorities that could be about 40000 I get a company match of up to 5%, which I utilize up to that amount. I currently contribute 300 in addition to maxing out my Roth IRA that is valued around 12000 Assuming I continue this pace, would you say uh, what would you say is the likelihood that I'll be able to retire and live off of sixty to 70000 a year? I have hesitations with blindly trusting a 4% rule since when the study was done, it was with a 5% safe rate of return from bonds back in the 90s. Thanks for your time. Ooh, there's a lot to unpack in there. All right. So with that- Thanks uh, for your question. Yes. Thank you, Zach. But I want to highlight a couple things, if that's okay. Yeah, go right One ahead. is um, I'd like to have the ability to retire without having to worry about the stock market. I think we should definitely touch on that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we can dive into maybe some nuances of numbers and how we think about it. Yep. Um, and then also the idea of trusting the 4% rule. I think we should also touch on that. Yeah. I think a lot of uh, assumptions that we'll have to make to kind of walk through a sample of how we would approach this. But then I think those are all general principles that would be good to flush out Yeah. Um, as we do it. Cool. So I, I think the best way to do this is, you know, Zach, the, thank you for this information. There, There's a, a lot of missing pieces that would be needed for Scott and I to be able to sit in front of someone and say, yes, you are, you are on track to retire. Mm-hmm. Um, it, there's so much that depends upon how long are you going to work for? Um, how are contributions going to change over time? How are you invested? So many different things that, that we would want to know more about. Yeah. But to start, you're 26 years old. You have a TSP, which for people listening, that's like the equivalent of a 401k. So if you hear TSP and you say, what's that? Well, it's called thrift savings plan. Just think of it as like a 401k 
And he has a TSP at 20,000, a Roth IRA at 12,000. So that's $32,000 set aside in designated retirement accounts. Mm-hmm. There's another 40 grand, but it sounds like those are earmarked for other priorities. I don't know if this, that's buying a home, going back to school, whatever it is, that's just, we're not going to include that because that's not really retirement money. Right. So let's just walk through a very, very basic back of the napkin example of what, what are you on track for? Yeah. Does that work? Let's do this. Let's assume that Zach reti- works for 40 more years. Yes. That'll so, put him about 66. 66 years old. Mm-hmm. Nice, easy number. Um, let's see what that looks like. So if you want to live on 60 to 70,000, I'm just going to use 60. Mm-hmm. That's okay with you. Yep. Works for uh, me. Let's start with that. R- really, Zach, the first thing that we want to know isn't, are you on track to be able to live on $60,000 per year? Because Mm-mm. that's in today's dollars. And last week we did a topic on inflation. And what inflation does is it makes the cost of everything that you want to buy go up and up and up. Yep. So if we look at $60,000 of expenses, the first thing that we have to do is adjust that for inflation. And if we do that, what does that approximately turn into, Scott? 60000 of expenses today, if we just say a 3% inflation rate, yep. um, would be about 196000 40 years from now. Yes. So we're not planning on $60,000 when Zach is done working. It's $196,000. Totally. That you need an income to cover what you could afford today on Mm $60,000. So that's the first place you want to start. Not to scare you, but that's just the reality of it. If we're looking at a 40-year time horizon, inflation is something we want to take into account. So let's start with that. Um, Now that this is ignoring taxes. So of that $60,000, okay, what do you actually need? So the after taxes, you can generate $60,000. Let's just keep it super simple and start with that. If we're going to look at a rule of thumb, like Zach talks about a 4%, what that rule says is it says, if you have a portfolio value, you can take out 4% of that portfolio value and be reasonably assured that that portfolio is going to be sustainable for at least 30 years. Yes. Meaning you're not going to spend your retirement portfolio down too soon. Mm-hmm. So what we have to do is we have to say, okay, if $196,000 is the amount of income that I need in retirement, I need to know what number does $196,000 represent 4% of. Yes. I mean, if that's the amount I'm taking out of my portfolio, what's the bigger amount that needs to be in my portfolio to generate that? So if we divide $196,000 by 4%, what you see is you would need $4,900,000 in order to generate $196,000 per year from investments. Again, we're still ignoring taxes. That number sounds so huge. That sounds like a humongous number. And it is a large number. Um, a couple of things to note is most people, if, if Zach, if you were 66 today and retiring, it's not completely dependent or completely up to your TSP or your Roth IRA or your savings to cover all of your needs. Right. We have other, other forms of income. Like the mo- one that most people think of is social security. Exactly. So social security, um, Zach says he's a TSP, depending upon what position you're in within the government, you may have a pension. I, we don't know from this question from what you submitted, whether you do or don't. Um, but let's just look at this. What if, you know, 66, that's close to what's called your full retirement age. Mm -hmm. It's not unreasonable to assume that your social security benefit might be around 2,500 bucks a month at that age. Yeah. Around like 30 grand a year, something around 30 grand a year. Now I know a lot of people, if they're 26, they're not really planning on social security, maybe as much in their minds are saying, look, let's just be conservative, but let's plan with social security just for a second. Well, if that's 2,500 bucks per month, 
the the first thought is well that's kind of that's that's a drop in the bucket compared to the 4.9 million dollars I'm going to need in order to do this but the thing about that is that significantly reduces the amount that you would need in your investments so if 2500 per month from social security by the way that could be social security it could be rental income it could be a pension any other income source is just not coming from your portfolio what that does is it effectively means that that's $30,000 that you would need from your portfolio to still generate that 60,000 of expenses because 30,000 which is 2500 per month is coming from social security the remaining 30,000 comes from your portfolio which means that cuts in half the amount of portfolio balance you would need at that time in order to generate that same level of income yeah so you'd only need like 2.45 million instead of 4.9 million yeah yeah so just under two and a half which is still still sounds like a lot of money yeah but let's see what zach's on track for let's take a look so if we say we have thirty two thousand dollars saved so far and we're gonna save six thousand dollars a year to the roth and we're not assuming there's any growth in that for like inflation we're not going to adjust that number it's going to stay six grand and then we're going to save um we're assuming 5% to, we're making an assumption about the amount of money that Zach makes here. We're saying, we're assuming it's $72,000. And the way we got that was we just made the assumption that the $300 he notes in the, in his uh, question is a 5% match. So, so we're just assuming 3,600 for the employer and 3,600 for himself. uh, And we're going to let all of that grow at a rate of 8% per year from now until when they were, he retires. Great. So he's got 32 grand for retirement today, putting six grand in a Roth, 7,200 combined into the TSP, half him, half his employer. Yeah. So drum roll, like audience at home, if he's saving, so he's going to be saving, what is that? Uh, $13,200. $13,200 a year for 40 years at an 8% rate of return. Do you think it's going to be worth more or less than the 2.45 million that he needs? I, gosh, you know, he's only at 32 today. He needs two and a half million. Seems like a lot of ground to cover. Right. Now, just just mentally note the number you gave to yourself because here's here's the point. We do not think in, in, in we think in linear terms, like at, as we're thinking about this, computing it when we're driving or listening, we don't think about the way that, that money compounds over time. Uh, Zach, with this simple assumption, would have about $4.1 million when he turns... 66. It's a lot of money. Yeah. So I love that because I think when we hear numbers like 4.9 million or even 2.5 million, it's like, oh my gosh, how, how am I supposed to ever get there? Mm-hmm. Well, these numbers that Zach's saving, they're, they're good numbers, but they're not unreasonable right. I think, for a lot of people. Right. People say, okay, if I can max out a Roth and put a few bucks and do a 401k or TSP with a match, you're well on track to to have enough, at least in Zach's example, not just to cover his needs, but to to still have 1.5 million of quote unquote excess funds at that time. Right. Which means maybe he spends more in retirement. Maybe he retires sooner than 66. Maybe he just has, he has options of what he could do at that point. Yeah. I mean, a few things that are working really well here. Um, Zach's young, he's 26. Lots of time to let the markets work for him. We're not talking about asset allocation. We're not talking about where should the funds go? How do you optimize? There's all these little things you can do to help make it work even more optimally for you. But the fact that you're going to let time work on your side really helps you get to the answer that you need. Mm-hmm. Um, the next thing is the percentage of savings rate, right? With the $6,000, if we assume it's $72,000 a year of income, 
$6,000 plus the $3,600 that he's contributing is a 13% savings rate. Mm-hmm. Add in the, the employer match, you're at 18%. If you can save between 15 to 20% of your income every year, the chances of you needing to really worry in retirement are going to be pretty low. Yeah, so long as you're not in just a super, super conservative portfolio, but you're actually getting that money to work for you, you're probably in a good spot. Yes, thank you for that. And the other, the other key there is the amount of time that you have to let this grow. Yeah, because if you if you don't start doing this until you're in your 40s or 50s, well, now you have to save a whole lot more Mm -hmm. to be able to be okay. Yeah, exactly. So I think that's that's a very good, simple way of looking at this, where you know, Zach asks, what's the likelihood I'll be able to retire? I think we would both say, look, that the tools are in place. The things are in place for retirement to not necessarily be an issue. Yeah. There are some big assumptions being made. Huge assumptions. Yeah. Obviously we, we, we're not, we're, we're, we're making some big, this big assumptions. illustrative purposes only. Well, we'll put yeah. that big disclaimer out there, yeah, but of course. You know, just because we assume you're going to grow at 8% doesn't mean you are going to grow at 8%. Um, yeah. Just because we assume you're going to continue saving doesn't mean you will. Where they, they, there's all these things that we're assuming, but the the resources and the tools are in place. I think to say yes, you definitely ha- are in a position to be able to make this work. And we just want to lay out a general framework for how to do that. Um, some other things to consider is this is somewhat conservative in the sense that it assumes that Zach never ever gets a raise. Mm-hmm. Now, if you get a raise of say three percent this year. The nice thing about that is if you're saving 5% to your TSP and you're getting a match of 5% from your employer, that just automatically goes up. You don't even need to do anything Mm -hmm. because it's a percentage of your income. If your income goes up, your contribution goes up. This example was assuming a fixed 6,000 per year to Mm -hmm. the Roth and a fixed 3,600 to the TSP with a match. So in all reality, that 4.1 might be a little bit conservative if all the other assumptions are playing out to be what we assume them to be. Yep. Also, we're making assumption there's no spouse, there's no, no no additional anyone else who's helping save or helping spend. So, you know, just, just something else to keep in mind. Yeah. So hypothetically, if, if Zach has a spouse and the spouse is doing the same exact thing, well, you double those numbers. Right. You know, that's that's two Roths being maxed out, two TSPs being five per, putting 5% in. Now, it might also double the expenses or, or come close to it. Yeah. Um, but again, just a simple look at this. Um, one thing that we, he, he asked is, is the 4% rule the best way to look at this? Yeah. I think it's a fine way to look at this for just some general back of the napkin math of, am I on track to retire or not? Mm -hmm. It's just a very simple way. Um, the good news is I think he had concerns that, gosh, is that 4% rule? Is that too much? Like, is that more than a portfolio can actually? Yeah. I want to touch on that specifically because he was saying when it was done, when there's a 5% safe rate of return for bonds in the nineties. Mm-hmm. Right. And like Bill Bengen did, he was the, he was an engineer first who became an advisor who finally had Excel spreadsheets with the data to go look at what would rates of return be on model portfolios over periods of time. But he actually went and looked back as far as the data would take him, mm-hmm. right? Which was not the 90s. Yeah. It was decades prior. Uh, and he actually went and looked at, and what the question that he was getting at was not, what is a withdrawal rate that will make sure that it's sustainable for this period for the next 30 years? It was looking at all of the historical data. What is the absolute lowest rate of return that we could start with yep. to make sure that this lasts for 30 years? 
Exactly. Which means if you're the unluckiest person in the world and you retire on the exact wrong date, what's the most you could spend and still be reasonably assured that your money lasts for 30 years? Exactly. And the other thing is the 4% rule, if you ever listen to Bill talk about it, he'll note that that's the, the percent that was given by the media because that made it easy to talk about. But his percent was actually a little bit higher. And then when you actually factor in things like investing globally and investing in not just large cap stocks, but small cap stocks, you can actually have a, a little bit more latitude in that with all the old data sets that existed. Yeah. So, so there's, there's some more, there's more nuance to that number than just the 4% rule. There completely is. I think the 4% rule is based upon literally a back-tested portfolio, 50% stock as measured by the S&P 500 and 50% US bonds, treasury bonds. Right. Well, those are two good asset classes, but there's no small companies or international or emerging markets or real estate or other things that you want to add in. So yeah. he then added under his research, Jonathan Guyton came around and said, hey, not only what if we spread out the asset allocation more, but what if you place some rules around your spending? So right. if things are going really well, wonderful, spend more. If things aren't going so well, well, can you temporarily cut back? Um, and if you do that, then all these things just start to increase the rate of return or the withdrawal rate that you can safely take out. So it's not unrealistic to think that 4% could turn into 5, 5.5, even 6% at times, which means for you, practically speaking, not you being Zach, but just anyone, all of us, if you can take out 5% of your portfolio instead of 4%, it doesn't seem like that big of a difference. But it significantly reduces the amount you need to have in your portfolio to meet the same level of living expenses that you want to have. Um, so I think, Zach, for your question, that's a fine place to start. And and I think direction at this po point is more important than anything else. Like, are you going the right direction to get to that point, knowing that you have 40, rules in front of you, 40 years in front of you? But by the time you're actually retired, you might not want to just rely on that rule. I think there's different ways of doing it that would allow you to, to spend more freely with the assets yes. you have. Agreed. Enjoy them more. Yeah, there's much more data and more, much more information on that now. Guyton Klinger is a great, great example of that. Yeah. Um, the other thing I think that Zach touched on is he doesn't want to have to worry about the stock market. Yeah. Um, and we've talked about this before because we've, we've had the com we, we kind of tried to dupe you guys in the past with like, hey, which, which investment would you choose? Right. Yeah. And it was like, yeah. well, you can invest in, and the probability of it going up is 50%. Or in A, and then in, in investment B, the the probability of it going up is you know seventy five percent, and then in C, the probability was eighty percent, and then ninety, and then finally a hundred. And our our punchline for you was that it was all the S and P five hundred, yeah. and it was just looking at the period of time that you were looking at whether or not it was successful. Yeah, and the shorter the time frame, the more likely it is to not be successful. Yeah. But once you got to 20 year time frames, the chances of it being negative historically were zero. Right. I exactly. The longer your time horizon, the less you need to be concerned about stocks. And as Scott's mentioning, there's never there's never been, that doesn't mean there can't ever be. Right. We'll, we'll, we'll preface it with that. But there's never been a 20 year time period where the S&P 500 with dividends reinvested hasn't had a total return that's positive. Right. I mean, you've never lost money in the S&P 500 over 20 years. Now, people have, but it's because they've done dumb stuff or they've, they've made changes to their portfolio in the midst of that. But had you left it alone, you've never lost money over any 20-year time period. Now, Zach, you have two 20-year time periods, I guess based on our assumptions. We don't know that he's going to work right. until 66. But um, 
Today, the ups and downs of the stock market should not be the main risk that you are concerned about. No. If anything, you should be welcoming those ups and downs because the next 30% downturn, we saw this with COVID, when things drop dramatically, what's your total return if you bought Oh my gosh, you should be. So yeah, this is where like, I even say, even for retiree clients, right? Like a portion of our assets, if you're retired, you want to keep in bonds and cash. So it's there and available for you when you need it during a downturn. But when a downturn occurs- it's like Nordstrom's having the half annual sale in the stock market. We can go buy more stuff for less money right now yeah. in companies that are going to wake up and try to better themselves and better society and better, like make more money for themselves. It's it just, it's a good thing. Yep. Every time downturns happen, we should get excited rather than terrified. Exactly. So Zach, do you need to worry about the stock market risk? No, you should welcome the stock market volatility today. Absolutely. Now, you know, do you get, do you know yourself enough to say, hey, I'm so uncomfortable by this, that blah, blah, like, you know, maybe you need to be a tad bit less aggressive. If just emotionally, you can't handle it. But, but just financially speaking, kind of taking the human emotional side out of it, there's really not any reason to be concerned about it for, for several years, even a couple plus decades. It's as you get closer to retirement, that's where the stock market can really be um, you need to be a little bit more intentional because to your point, you're now maybe living on some of those assets. And so you need to just make sure you're a little more intentional about how your money is allocated. Right. But even then, as we just pointed to, you still need it to work for like 30 years. So you're still going to want to go invest in it. It's just, you may not want all your money invested in it. You might want to temper that a little bit. Yes. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Um, But the the point is the frame I want to give you all is if, if like, if you're in Zach's shoes here and you're thinking, I'm just saving for the next 20, 30, 40 years, that's what this money is for. And I'm speaking specifically about retirement assets, then don't even worry about it. Don't even, I mean, you, you might need to go look at it if you need to go rebalance it for some reason. But if you don't, if you just have an automated system that's putting money to work for you go for it let it work it will do its thing yeah yeah exactly so i I think the trying to keep this as simple as possible because it doesn't need to be complicated um i wouldn't worry about the stock market if i'm you i'd welcome those ups and downs zach Mm -hmm. i don't think that the the four percent rule is something you want to build your entire financial picture around but i think it's a fine enough starting point for today just to get a general sense of am i on track or not Mm mm-hmm and then to your point, I would focus more on the things that we can control, which is our savings rate of what percentage of our income are we saving? It is going to be how many years will I be working for? It is, okay, once I've chosen how much I'm going to save, what is my overall asset allocation and how much should be in stocks, bonds, cash? We've done plenty of episodes about that. Mm-hmm. So focus on those things. And there's no reason Zach shouldn't be perfectly fine for his retirement whenever that time may come. The only thing I'd add is that he gave a range of that 60 to 70K a year. And thank you. There yeah. will be a big difference um, for, for the numbers between the sixty and the seventy k a year. Yep. Right. It's about a four hundred thousand dollar difference in today's dollars. <laughs> like, yep. like really simplistically, uh, for the for the amount of money that you need to be okay. So just the one of the biggest drivers that you all can have for how quickly can you create financial freedom for yourself is looking at what do you need to spend to live a good life for yourself. Because if, 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 uh, if James and I right now make the exact same incomes and have the exact same net worth, but I spend twice as much as James does, well, then my financial freedom is going to come a lot longer from now, much further down the road than James. Right. Because he can save much more. Right. Right. It's, it's really that simple. 
but it's one of the components that most of us just don't think about very much. Yep. Fully agree. I think that's what it always comes back to is, is that aspect. And then the, the projections and the asset allocation, all that stuff is just designed to support. What does that look like for you, for your particular situation? Yeah. So cool. Anything else? I think that's it for today. Have a great day, everybody. Yes. Thank you very much. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Real Personal Finance Podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe and let us know by leaving a five-star review. And if you have a question that you'd like for us to answer, then head over to the Real Personal Finance website at realpersonalfinance.co. And there's a section on the bottom of each page there where you can submit your question for us to answer in a future episode. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only. It should not be relied upon for a basis for investment decision. This podcast is not engaged in rendering legal, financial, or other professional services.